You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Well, welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show. We've got a Christmas special for you. It's not Paul Kelly. That one uh, you may have already heard, How to Make Gravy. That, that was a Christmas special, but we thought we'd follow that up with, of course, today's guest, who is bringing a Christmas cheer into the studio today. Of course, you're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, editor of the Batuta Advocate, and Errol Parker, editor-at-large. How are you, Errol? Good, mate. Just looking forward to learning how to make gravy in other ways. You know, obviously the state politics down south in New South Wales, it's been very lucrative for a lot of people down there. Yeah, uh, very much so. So much so that the New South Wales ICAC is really, uh, it's proving itself uh, as a worthy institution. Yeah, it's in vogue and certainly busy. And today's guest... I guess, is uh, is someone who... Is aware that it, it exists. Is aware it exists and is not tarnished by it, uh, which is surprising for, for a state politician. I haven't been tagged with the ICAC. Today we are joined by the New South Wales opposition leader, Chris Minns. Thank you for joining us, mate. Thanks, Clancy. Nice to see you, Errol. How are you, boys? Good, mate. Good, mate. Now, uh, we, we opened up you know, pretty hot, I would say, yeah. speaking about ICAC, but obviously ICAC's playing a big role in your life right now because your, your former uh, opponent has just gone down to yeah. an investigation. Nothing's mm. been proven. Hasn't but- gone down yet. She's just merely had the microscope placed on her, mm. um, albeit briefly. She's made it clear that she doesn't believe she should be... Uh, you know, the Premier, while an investigation is taking place mm-hmm. into alleged misconduct. Uh, so she's been replaced by another bloke who is about your age mm. and, uh, you know, seems to have the same stamina as you and, and, and makes for, I guess, an exciting opponent for the Labor Party in the yeah. shape of Dominic Perrottet. What is your relationship like with uh, colleagues, you know, like, like, like Perrottet? It's actually pretty good, Yeah. No, we get on very well. Yeah. We've had, you know, gone out for a few beers and I don't think I got a Christmas card from him, but, okay. but people don't send, the, send Christmas cards anymore. No, no, no. But no, I, I get on with him. Yeah. I, I, on a personal level, I like him. I don't know if he'd say the same thing. Probably not. No. <laughs> Who do you think had run the fastest 5K between you two? I mean, like you both look like you're both Oh, fit. 5K. You don't really look like the traditional politician, you know, like it's, it's probably... We've, we've come a long way. To be honest, I reckon he would because he, um, he I've seen him run yeah. and he's... Um, he's got more things to run from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's... He's a, he's sort of tall, like he's a big unit. Has he been on the on the podcast? No, yet? no, no. I should have I should have actually prefaced this yeah. interview with that. Dominic Perrottet is the invitation is open to join us. We every time a politician comes on here, regardless of what side of politics they're from, we get accused of uh, promoting them or yes. uh, you know being in their pocket. Yeah. But it is or- interesting. The last politician we did have, we mentioned outside, was the uh, opposition leader of Queensland, uh, LNP leader David Crisofulli. And what's he like? Yeah, he he was uh, he's an interesting guy, but he's in a similar position to you. You know, there's just been so much, I guess, news and noise around the premier. Mm. You know, Christmas isn't isn't cutting through. Neither is Christopher Fully, and and we can't say that's a left or right thing either. Well, we're because- trying, we're trying, but mate, you know, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth stories about Omicron or um, yeah, COVID mm-hmm. or. A ferry that's got some cracks. In yeah, it, ferries. So um, Spanish tram <laughs> flu. So trying to yeah. get on the news is tough, but um, you know we're doing our bit. We're trying, and mm-hmm. we're in an arm wrestle now with Perite. He'd probably win the five k run. He's yep. he's quick. 
I've seen him running. I've seen him in his running gear, actually. Yeah, I reckon you probably have him in the Goanna pool, though. Yeah, right. He's all legs and arms. He's yeah. he's, he's quick, you know? Yeah, no core. <laughs> now, what one thing I want to ask you is in similar, um, similar uh, to how we, we grilled and skewered uh, Chris Afuli and mm. before that, your close mate in the shape of uh, Giovanni Barilara. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you are a politician. You are the leader of the Labor Party. You have uh, the potential to take government in New South Wales to clean it up, clean up the shop after, you know, what has been a disastrous couple of years in the shape of a pandemic, uh, a lot of people out of work, wages are low, cost of living's fucked. No one can buy a house. No one can buy a house. The Premier's bloody, you know, gone missing, replaced overnight in the middle of a pandemic recovery. But the people of New South Wales have you as the alternative. What do you know about the world? Well, I mean, I think it has been tough over the last couple of years, you know. My electorate's in southern Sydney and it was it was part of those locked down local government areas. So we yeah. had, you know, the curfew and worker restrictions and worker permits. And ever since that's finished, you've got a situation where, particularly in Sydney, I don't know what it's like in other parts, like in Brisbane, but mm. Sydney and, and in the regions as well in New South Wales, petrol's gone up 25%, rents have gone up 7.5%, fresh food, uh, fruit and veggies have gone up 7%, and wages are flat, and they've been flat for probably a couple of decades but certainly now it's really starting to bite so uh, you know for many people particularly young people it's pretty impossible to get ahead and the you know I was talking to notwithstanding that we're we're friendly the premier's solution to a lot of this is to say oh well we need to jack up the GST and apply it to fresh food make it broader look I just feel like that kind of pushing the the costs of government and the cost of living on the people who can least afford to pay it particularly after the last couple of years is just not the, not the way to go well just on that chris you know if if it's not you know the pandemic if it's not you know broken pieces of infrastructure that's cutting through in the media it's it's housing affordability in sydney yeah how much of this issue is on is on the shoulders of say a federal government as opposed to a state government like yeah Whose fault is it that this has really gone gone off the deep end? Down? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's you you raise the point. It's important that you raise it. There's house prices in Sydney have gone up twenty five percent in one year, and there's been no inbound immigration into Australia for two years. So this is a huge, you know, asset driven change in in what people can afford, and many people can't afford it at all. Um, yeah. I think the average house price in Sydney is over a million dollars now. In Brisbane, it's about. 650,000 or something. Yeah, Queensland teachers get paid more than Sydney yeah. teachers. So first thing we need to do is make sure we get some wage growth, like serious wage growth, particularly people who PAYE taxpayers. Uh, they're falling further and further behind. Their salary just doesn't stretch as far. And you're seeing a lot of industrial action right across not just yeah. Sydney and New South, but the entire world. And I reckon that's not being driven by trade union leaders going, oh, let's let's go out on strike. I think it's their membership going, we can't afford to live and work here anymore. It's just too expensive. So that's part of it. Supply is a big part of housing. You've got to have a situation where most of the housing supply in New South Wales or in Sydney in particular is in the northwest and southwest what they call the growth corridor. Yeah. But, mate, that's an hour and a half from the city CBD. Oh, yeah. And to get to and from work, you've got to use toll roads, which are extremely expensive. There's not public transport links. So, like, something's going wrong here. And I just feel like top to bottom, there's not an understanding of what the economy is doing to, you know, young people in particular. Now, I've seen you've thrown around the possibility of abolishing tolls on mm. the roads. Um, I'm sure that gets a lot of people hot and heavy. That gets people excited. Would you ever consider rent control? 
rent control. So, um, like they do in, cap- in other major cities that actually, you know, like Sydney, like Brisbane, like Melbourne, rely on people, whether they be middle class, working class citizens, to be in the CBD, be within a commute of the CBD. Yeah. That's obviously, there's no tenant rights across Australia at all. Australia's no. kind of the land. Um, you know, God, where, where God forgot the tenant, particularly renters. We can talk about housing affordability, but also the rental market is crushing people as yeah, well. Yeah. How do you approach this issue? Because we, we are living in a boomer supremacy where, as you mentioned before, once upon a time, we also had foreign investment in the Australian property market. We haven't even had that for two years yeah. and that house prices have gone up. So mm. that's just saying that there's people that would usually be spending money on luxuries are now just getting back into the property market because they're bored during lockdown, scrolling mm. domain. <laughs> How do you tackle this This you know, this God-given right for uh, property investors to be assured risk-free investments? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a big issue. On, obviously, a big part of this is at the federal level with uh, Commonwealth tax policy around negative gearing and changes to you know, the treatment of assets from the federal government. At the state level, we are looking at policies like key worker housing and more affordable and social housing. Victoria does it heaps better than New South Wales. And the multipliers are huge. So every dollar that you put into the housing market for affordable housing, you get something like $7 back in ancillary benefits. You know, there's, there's jobs in it, there's investment, the return for the government's huge. Uh, we've got really good non-government but not-for-profit providers that do an amazing job, like in my area, the St George Housing Association, just incredible. They do it at scale. They build beautiful-looking buildings. It's all integrated. They're changing neighbourhoods around. So I think there's stuff we can do, particularly the inner ring of Sydney, to change a lot of that. Key worker housing is important as well. So, like, I live... Yeah, to- you, can you explain key worker housing? It's a term I've never heard before. It's not public housing. It's not... No. It's not, it's not no, housing so commission. Effectively, you would make sure that there was housing for those that work, for example, nurses in key big public hospitals. And you've got a situation like Royal North Shore where cleaners and nurses live an hour and a half, you know, an hour and 45 minutes from their work. And yeah. increasingly, because they've got options and, and labour's mobile, they can take jobs in, which is a good thing. That, that's what you want. But they're increasingly saying, well, do I really want to spend an hour and a half paying something like five grand a year in tolls for a job that I can get the same amount of money for in my local community? And the answer, more often than not, is, is no. Yeah. So um, key worker housing is something that other jurisdictions around the world do. You know, we're looking at all those things to try and ease the burden because it's unprecedented. If you look at London, Paris, New York, all of them have social housing components in their big developments. New York's up to 20%. Mm. And you have to provide, if you're a developer, you've got to make sure that 20% of your housing stock is affordable housing. Well, until that day comes, uh, I mean, the Reserve Bank the other day said there is no way into the Sydney housing market if you don't have rich parents. Mm. What would your advice be to people who have poor parents who can't help them in? Yeah, I mean, it's such a complicated issue and we've touched on a whole bunch of stuff in relation to the economy and the family budget. I mean, we need to get make sure wages get going and can keep pace with affordability across the board in Sydney. We need to make sure that we're not pushing all of the burden of taxation, particularly on younger people with these user pay taxes. In New South Wales, tolls, taxes, fines, fees, charges are all up. All of them are up. Taxes are growing at 3.2%. The economy is only growing at 2%. Majority of that is, or a big chunk of that is stamp duty, often paid by first-home buyers. So we need to make sure from the state perspective, we do everything we can. As I said, a lot of this 
rests in the Commonwealth jurisdiction. Yeah. Now, if I was a young person living in New South Wales, I'd actually, I mean, aside from what we've just spoken about now in terms of, you know, you're carrying a lot of uh, the government cost and, and, you know, you're locked out. Uh, the, well, you, if you're young and you're on a good wicket, then you can afford to live somewhere nice. Yeah, and, 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 and it's all started with Joe Hockey saying the key to buying a house is getting a good job. We know that that's not enough. But, you know, on top of all of these things, the intergenerational, you know, wealth disparity and everything like that, that, that young people are kind of having to endure and not enjoy in your city, you've also got the aspect of a police state, really. I mean, cities around the world... As we, as we said, we've got rent control, we've got key worker housing. What they don't have in other cities around the world is lockout laws. They don't have police dogs walking through pubs on Christmas parties. The kids are not only you know locked out financially, but they're the most legislated young people in the world. What are your thoughts on, on how to you know make uh, your city that you grew up in, and I'm sure you had a lot of fun in the cross. I'm sure you had a lot of fun down in Darling Harbour during oh, the Olympics. Yeah, yeah right. Down. Over the road at Oakey Jibs. Yeah. <laughs> How do you just cool off a little bit on this policing, kids getting strip searched at train stations, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So, look, I mean, obviously it's a, an issue that – it's a complicated issue. It has to do with not just the policing but also the legislation that politicians like myself push through the parliament. You know, it's not like police wake up one day and go, oh, I think I'm going to do this today. They're obviously reacting blitz. to laws that have been passed by a series of governments. First of all – I thought the lockout laws in Sydney were, were terrible and um, I, you know, broke with my party two years before they changed in 2020. I, I wrote an article in the Sydney Morning Herald in 2017 or 16 saying these are crazy, Sydney's losing its, um, you know, its, its importance as a nighttime economy. We've got all these amazing bars and restaurants that aren't like, you know, the, the solid, normal, safe environments yeah. that were just closing right across Sydney. And in the meantime, Newtown and the casino were a mess. So I thought it was just this massive distortion and spoke out against it at the time. And I was unhappy that the Labor Party didn't take that to the last election because I think we could have we could have got a lot of support from young people and it might have been enough in a few different seats to really push a lot of voters over to the, the Labor side. But look, good news that that's been changed. I'm concerned about a number of things in relation to the nighttime economy. I reckon it's really easy for innovative, young, entrepreneurial nightclub owners or pub or, or club managers to get their licence knocked over because, you know, you've got a whole bunch of People, particularly in the inner city, who demand that the pub or the club cease trading at 10.30 at night or doesn't have loud music. Yeah, so they can watch, I don't know, they can watch their BBC murder mysteries upstairs in their their art deco apartment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And you see that, you know, in the cross and in the city, and it's not good. It, It robs the vitality of a city like Sydney, which has always had an element of excitement about it going back hundreds of years. It has always, I mean, I think it's important to say that this has been a perennial argument in Sydney in particular because there has been that teetotaling element to the way licensed venues and nightlife has operated. We came, a lot of people don't know this, but we had a referendum in New South Wales about abolishing like prohibition for alcohol. It was uh, knocked over, but not by March. It was sort of, I think, a 60-40 result. And we've had teetotaling politicians that have been you know, responsible for a whole bunch of restrictions on, in particular, licensees for yeah. pubs and clubs for a long time. 
So it's a, a struggle, but I think we need to get the balance right. And, you know, now's the time to do it because you've got a situation where so many young people are being robbed of really important life chances and, and rites of passage to go out with their mates because they've had to stay home and live with mum and dad for on and off for two years mm. and not go out on their own. Yeah. And, and, you know, Sydney used to be a place where, you know, you'd have the Whitlam's or you'd have these bands and, and unless those kids are really living at home, they're going to London, they're going to Brisbane. Yeah. Yeah, and I saw that a lot during the lockout laws because you had a lot of young restaurant owners and a lot of young publicans uh, who left and moved to Los Angeles and London and New York. And I lived just outside of New York for a while. And you, every second person was Australian. They are opening a coffee shop in some corner. And they're doing quite well off the back of it. But you want that kind of creative energy and that sort of business acumen located in australia because i think that you know when someone opens something it does well it creates yeah. three or four other opportunities and people think i'm going to go for it and then all of a sudden your city's got a vibe and a dynamism that sydney's been lacking for a while what is your story i asked at the start of the um interview you know what do you know about the world can you tell us what it is that inspired you to i guess uh make the interesting career choice for a young man to spend your lifetime surrounded by teetotalers and wowzers and, you know, uh, fundamental Christians yeah. in, in Macquarie Street, and Sydney. And yeah. Yeah. You know. yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we've got, we've got all many different people choose politics as a vocation. I, look, I joined the Labour Party when I was 17 and um, I've always liked it. Like, I didn't come late to politics. I really – I found it really exciting. I thought that for my generation, Paul Keating – coming through and just like ripping in on the nightly news was incredible. I never really heard anyone speak like that, let alone a prime minister. And then when you matched his, um, the way he just ripped into the coalition and John Howard and John Hewson and all the rest of them with what was a really strong sense of where the country should go, I just thought it was the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. So I was pretty hooked from the beginning, dropped in and out of, of politics, worked in, in it and then left it for a while, was living in the States and the member for Cogra, who was a friend of mine, Cherie Burton, she said, look, I'm not running running again. If you come back, you could put your hand up and run for pre-selection. And so I did that. And yeah, I I've, haven't I've, sort of enjoyed it every day, you know, 24-7. It's a pretty, oftentimes it's tough. And, um, you know, you get a lot of challenges, yeah. but um, pretty, it's exciting. And even on horrible days, you never go to bed going, well, what a boring mm. endeavour. You're not sort of putting the lids on toothpaste. It's, exci it's exciting work. And what does your team look like at the moment? You know, you're sitting in opposition. What does the yeah. shadow government look like of New South Wales? Like, is it important in the, the Labor Party to put a minister in the appropriate portfolio? You know, like someone who, who, who at least has a tiny bit of experience about, yeah. say, what it is to be a teacher, what it is to be a policeman. You know, yeah. Like. We've got a bit of that. I mean, obviously we've got, um, I don't know, you guys would have heard of Jihad Dib, who was yeah. a fantastic principal in New South Wales for a long time and uh, he's on our front bench as the Shadow Minister for Climate Change and Energy uh, and Emergency Services. Also the brother of, uh, you know, New South Billy Wales Dib. featherweight title yep. holder, Billy Dib, Billy fantastic. the Kid Dib. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Uh, what did he have, the... Uh, 
IBF or IWB, I believe. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a great asset for the Labor Party is someone like that, you know, a community leader, punch ball high principal, brother of a great boxer. I mean, who, they're not, not going to vote for him out there. In no, they McKenna love it. Or, yeah. And, 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 and. Billy's a top bloke too. But look, we've got, I mean, we don't have many people. In fact, I think we've got one from the previous Labor government. So we haven't, we've been very, very unsuccessful politically. We yeah. haven't won an election in New South Wales since 2007. So we're not going to go to the next election going. We've got all the experience in the world of yeah. governing. We're going to say something else, which is we think that the state is on the wrong track half the transport infrastructure is falling over, isn't working properly, cost of living through the roof. The government seems intent on pursuing a pretty right-wing economic agenda that I think shifts a whole bunch of the cost of living on the uh, you know, families, particularly those who live in Western Sydney. Yeah. So um, we don't have experience doing all those things. We want to, we want to radically change the joint. Yeah. You, you mentioned um, you've got Jihad Dib and, and you've got a kind of diverse party. But one thing that Gladys had over you last election was – the success story of, you know, the, the, the working class, you know, daughter of immigrants who kind of not only was an icon to, you know, the immigrant community and people of faith and also, uh, you know, female voters. This next election is going to look completely different to that, to, you know, yeah. to, to Gladys versus Jody. You, you and Perite, you've got two young bulls. How are you going to appeal to those voters? I mean, Perite obviously has the people of faith. You, you know, he's got, yeah. he's on a seven for. And he's, you know, he's quite open about his religion. He also uh, has tax policy too moving forward that's going to be very good to people who've bought houses in the past five years. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he, yeah, he's got the, the coveted uh, property investor vote. How are you going to appeal to these different... Sydney's not, you know, Sydney isn't just a grey city full of very similar people. Yeah. It's, it's a diverse <laughs> kind of place and there's, and there's a lot of different wants and needs, particularly out west. Yeah. Well, I mean, look... I think less politics in politics. There's too much going on. We've approached COVID, I think, in a different way to the way oppositions around the country have approached it. I haven't thrown brick bats at Gladys Berejiklian or Don Perite. I've tried to take a lot of politics out of this because I think it's a health emergency, not a political one. So really sticking to the issues. I'm not really interested in marching their ministers and their premier demanding that they resign from office and kicking them out of the New South Wales Parliament building. We want to replace them. Mm. And as I said... If you look at a few things, firstly, the way Western Sydney is being treated, everybody that lives west of Parramatta has enormous commutes to and from work. They're paying enormous amounts of money to either pay rent or their mortgage. They've not got access to the hospitals and schools and public transport links that the other parts of Sydney have received. And in return, they get toll roads, which are extremely expensive. Some people, some families are paying between five and $7,000 a year in tolls to get to and from work every single year. And it goes up at 4% each year, every year under the terms of the privatised contract. So there's a lot happening in New South Wales that I don't think people understand. So on a level as of today, what, what are the economic circumstances happening in New South Wales? We're going to offer an alternative to the government. Beyond that, my team and I, don't have experience in government, but we do live and work in Sydney and we are focused on, and New South Wales, and we are focused on what this state looks like 10, 20 years from now. There's some really troubling numbers coming out of education, for example. So there's half as many apprentices in New South Wales today as there was when the government was elected in 2011. 150,000 fewer people going through vocational education in TAFE in New South Wales today. We're not investing in young people in terms of the skills of the future. And I think 
when you look at the challenges associated with the New South Wales economy, which is driven not primarily but in large measure by real estate and coal mining, you've got to start thinking about what a modern diversified economy looks like and are you skilling up young people so that they can take advantage of those entrepreneurial opportunities? And I think the answer at the moment is no. The reason for that is twofold. Firstly, the government's been in power for over 10 years and I think you just start getting stale and you know myopic and you're worried about internal factional crap. And the second thing is, and this is reasonable, they've had their head down focused on COVID for the last two years. Now, I'm not knocking them for that. But that is an opportunity for the opposition to say, well, okay, we're thinking down the track. Mm -hmm. We're looking at where we want the state to be in 20 years' time. We think we need to start investing in these things so that we're prepared for major changes. I mean, that is the strongest thing Perrottet has going for him right now is that he is fighting for the freedoms of his citizens to return to the status quo. So it's, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like if you weren't happy before the pandemic... You should be happy now because things are like what it were before the well, pandemic. They were before, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, is that good enough? I no. mean, is that what a dynamic uh, state looks like? Is mm. that what a, an economy fit for the future looks like? Where will the jobs come from in the future? And like you mentioned it a few times, Errol. You know, domestic manufacturing is an important part of this. Like mm. making sure we've got we build things in New yeah. South Wales. Queensland does it well. They've invested in Maryborough, regional Queensland, 3,000 jobs in construction. They build trains up there. I mean, if Scott Morrison can come to the table and start saying, oh, all of a sudden I care about climate change and we're going to have net zero by 2050, then our major coal trading partners will be going through the same epiphany over the coming 10 years. Mm-hmm. And that puts big pressure on the New South Wales economy because 90% of what we dig up out of the ground, we export, we don't use domestically. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting uh, an interesting that you mentioned Scott Morrison there because one thing that was visible to everyone, even outside of New South Wales over the last couple of years during the bushfires and during the pandemic was how testy things got between the Berejiklian and Morrison governments. Yeah. Visibly. You know, yeah. there's photos where Morrison's got his fists clenched while mm. he's talking to Gladys and, and, and you know, the, the emergency, uh, the chief officer, of the, uh, Fitzsimmons, was his name? Yeah, Shane Fitzsimmons. Shane Fitzsimmons. Yeah. How do you think you would manage, assuming you win the next election, Morrison also wins, how would you manage working alongside what appears to be a very difficult man to work with? Yeah. He's a, he is like that, isn't he? Yeah. Because it, it feels like... like I mean, it, if, if, a, if a Liberal state government can't work with him, I'm not sure how a Labor state government will. Oh, no. Well, you know, it, it's been raining a lot in uh, eastern Australia now, which means in uh, two to three years there's going to be another massive bushfire crisis. Mm. So that's when you could be, uh, you know... Holding hands with the big fella. Yeah. Know, trying to navigate our way through another, you know, burning of Cabago. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that would be terrible, but but not 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 dealing with Scott Morrison, but bushfire yep. in Cabago. Look, I think that, um, you know, I deal with him professionally. I'm not like, I don't think I'd be a dickhead about it. Like, you've got an obligation, if you're the Premier of New South Wales, to work with whomever the voters throw up. Like, who am I to say? He shouldn't be Prime Minister. I know who I'm going to vote for when the election's in May, but um, if the other side get more votes, then our federation kind of works like that. you just got to put it to one side. But it's interesting. They do seem to all hate each other, and I think that's – you know, in New South Wales, we haven't had a state or federal government from the Labor Party since 2013, and I don't think the joint's been fixed. And in many ways, it's declined substantially. And I think for a lot of people, they're further behind today than they were when all these guys got elected. Mm-hmm. So I think the answer isn't for these guys to keep fighting each other and f- 
for all of us to be following the you know the ins and outs of their personal relationship with which is obviously bad my sense is try something new mm-hmm. you know get get behind new people and new ideas to get the state going just quickly before you go chris unfortunately for um for every New South Wales state government, they are also tasked with the, the job of governing regional New South Wales. And, you know, in the past, you know, as as we were saying over the past decade or so, that's been left up to the National Party and, and, and people of that cloth. Why should anyone in regional New South Wales vote for, for the Labor Party? I mean, could they do an even worse job than what the National Party has done <laughs> now? Look, I don't think so. I mean, the National Party, again, Liberal Party have been in power for that period of time. They've been in partnership with the National Party. Uh, They had a former leader who was bombastic and larger than life and a bit of a rogue every now and then. But uh, Before he disappeared (laughs) quietly into the night. (laughs) Before he just scrambled out of New South Wales in the middle of the night. No, I mean... It's funny thing in regional New South Wales, I've been out there a fair bit. I'm a Sydney boy, so I'm not pretending that, mm. you know, I've got some special connection with the bush, I don't. But I met a bloke in Braidwood, mm-hmm. not far from uh, Queanbeyan, mm. about an hour out of Queanbeyan. Where they filmed the uh, original yeah. Ned Kelly picture starring Mick Jagger. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. 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 It's a historical it's, town. It's, it's, uh, it's where Canberra people get their second coffee on their way to Bateman's Bay. Yeah, I want yeah. another coffee shop there. It's very yeah. good. Anyway, this fellow was saying, uh, lived there for 20 years, first 15 years just managing decline. Kids would get up, leave. The council was pretty slow. Everybody was just sort of like in a, in a bit of a daze. The last five years, complete opposite. And I think it's been driven by baby boomers going, I don't need to live in Sydney anymore. Tree change. Tech. Yeah. Yeah. Tech being quick. Uh, and, you know, computers meaning that you can yeah. talk with your boss and live anywhere, and then supercharged by COVID. So he said the last five years, it's the exact opposite. Can't find people to work in any of the shops, infrastructure not keeping pace with growing population and nowhere to live and not enough nurses and frontline workers. So he was sort of pitching it as this is the big opportunity for regional New South Wales. We've seen rather than all of these towns looking, you know, sad and worried about how many people are leaving every week, we're seeing the opposite. But it does require government to keep pace, make sure that when, for example, a young person opens a business, the planning approvals are done quickly, that they're not just sitting on someone's desk for weeks and weeks and weeks so that, you know, that kind of entrepreneurial spirit, which I think is alive and well in New South Wales, doesn't get snuffed out by people believing, ah, well, we do things slower here. Um, Now, there's some towns that get it and are on fire, in fact, many of them, Um, but I think the challenge for government is to make sure that we, you know, kindle that fire and it keeps going. Mm. Can you just quickly tell me the difference between Cogra and where you are, where you were born and raised, and Cronulla? It is very close, and I feel like the people vote very differently across that bridge. Yeah, well, it's a bridge. So it's um, Captain Cook Bridge and Tom Ugly's Bridge separate St. George from the Shire. Mm-hmm. My wife's from Cronulla. Mm-hmm. She grew up in uh, Ewos Parade in Cronulla, and I grew up in Penshurst, which is in St. George, like mm-hmm. next door to where, I, where we live now, but separated by uh, a million miles. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I just think it's sort of the way Sydney kind of grows up. You're right. It's not yeah. It's not a homogenous joint. Like no. you can travel across a bridge and it can be vastly, vastly different between one community to the next. Vote different, have a different kind of demographic, have a different outlook on, on the world. Dragons, sharks. Yeah. Your dragons? No. Nope. I go, go for the bulldogs. Right. Yeah. I've got the most marginal seat in the country 
I'm a member for Cogra, and, and I, but I go for the Bulldogs because you can't change teams. Okay. It's against the rules. Okay, they can across the bridge apparently. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you grew up in Coogee, you can change teams. But other than yeah. that, you can't do it. Well, the Roosters did go through a bit of a rough patch for about you know, 10 years, didn't <laughs> the they? Club I wonder Roosters. if he loses. They were no longer cool. But in saying that, he did go from the Roosters into the, uh, into the Waratahs. Did he? Yeah. Always been a Tars man. Yeah. Well, maybe he'll, um, if he loses, he'll just go back to Coogee, start going for the Roosters. Wouldn't that be, that'd I be mean, crazy? I think that'd if, be a bit of a ball. If he loses, he's that. never, ever going to force himself to watch a match of sport again. Really? Uh, I think he'll be, he'll, yeah. No, I don't think he enjoys it. Child uh, actor, did you know that? Yeah, ch- and it actor. makes sense. Don't, There's a bit of a Roman Roman Roy about him, don't you exactly. reckon? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> a bit of Kieran Culkin. <laughs> five thirty workouts yeah. here at five thirty. <laughs> yeah. But okay, well that that was an interesting chat. We're not even going to go into the Murdoch Royal Commission because we're running short on time, and we know that um, we mentioned before not much cut through for opposition leaders in the pandemic. Um, and Sky are giving you a bit of love, so we won't make you um, throw them under the bus uh, just yet. We'll throw that one to Albo when we speak to him yeah, next. Yeah, when's Albo coming in? Albo's come. He Al- came in, but Albo's um, been in a few times. Oh, it good, was man. things were very different when Albo came in. Um, I think the pandemic hadn't really. I mean, they, they hadn't really found their talking points on either side of, of yeah. the aisle at that point. We were still in the JobKeeper Mary, that kind of political climate that we were in where everyone was kind of happy and we actually managed yeah. to uh, end poverty. That was interesting. And if Albo wants to talk to you, it, you leave your phones on the bench down at Marrickville Golf Club mm-hmm. and you walk the 17th with him and Toto. Mm-hmm. And it, Is that his uh, dog's name? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't, I've got to follow him on Instagram because he's got a big dog game on Instagram. Does he? he? Yeah, yeah no. He's not familiar with that. that that'll... The other day he went to a dog's birthday in Marrickville. There you go. And <laughs> he put it on his Instagram. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Just like every other Australian does. Yeah. Don't they? <laughs> That's right. Well, we'll finish this by re-extending that invitation to Perrottet. We've got to we've got to have both here. Yeah, and uh, and we would like to pair the two of you up, and um, and I guess how long until the state of New South Wales pairs the two of you up? Yeah, so we've we've got f- fixed elections. Okay. So it's March yeah. something. I can't remember that. March twenty twenty three. Okay. Mm. All right. Well, right around the corner. Well, uh, all the best in over the next Thanks, year, Clancy. and yeah, we'll be in touch. Nice to see you, boys. Thanks Thanks for coming on. on.